us there. Uh, open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. I want to continue something I started a couple weeks ago and uh, dig in a little deeper maybe. While they're receiving the offering, I just want to tell you guys, it's really good to be back. Uh, last week I was in New Orleans and that was great. Uh, I, it was one of the better trips I, I took this year. I'm looking for a way to get invited to New Orleans every year. That's, that's what I've decided. Um, everything you can eat in New Orleans is yummy. That, you know, it's just all good, and I want to go back. So, But it's not as good as home, because you guys are here. Did that feel genuine? I don't know. It was genuine. I meant it. All right, hey, um, what I want to do this morning is, like I said, I want to pick up a little bit of where I jumped off uh, a couple weeks ago, started a little something, was talking about dreaming for our region, and I want to I want to pick that up again this morning, and I want to talk about dreaming for our region again this morning, and uh, I have a few things that I want to share here, but before I share those, I feel like I need to give a basic theology for uh, dreaming and living from desire and creativity. So I'm going to do a little bit of uh, theological groundwork for us out of, the, out of the book of Genesis, and then I have some other things I want to say on the end. Is that okay? So can we, can we grind, and then can we hear something else? Is that okay? All right, cool. I want to read three verses for you guys out of Genesis chapter 1. These are amazing verses and are typically not read in the manner that I'm going to read them to you this morning. Um, let's look at verse 26 through 28. Bam, look at that. I'll read it to you. Here we go. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them, and He said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Um, before we come back to the scripture, I want to I start here. I want to say that, kind of picking up where we were a couple of weeks ago, we're in this spot where we're being invited by the Lord to partner with him to see the kingdom come, not just like in our own life, but to see the kingdom come in our region. Um, there are five areas of influence and there are five areas of responsibility that everybody interacts with, okay? And so I'll start with this. Uh, there is one area, the beginning area of responsibility is you're responsible for your own life. So there's individual and personal responsibility and then there is family responsibility and then there is, if you're a believer, uh, responsibility in the community of faith, and then there's responsibility to the wider community, and then there's responsibility to the wide, wide world. Everybody get that? And every one of these areas, every one of these spheres, they're slightly overlapping, and in that, every every sphere and area has influence over every other sphere and area, if that makes sense. And the reason I bring this up is very simple, because God is inviting us into partnering with him to see the kingdom come in our region, area number four, if you would. And part of that 
places upon us a demand to cause to allow the kingdom to come in a greater way in our own life. Here's what I mean by that. See, as an individual, I have a call to love God and to learn his ways. And as a result, if I want my family to love God and to learn his ways, it's really incumbent upon me. You, you see that? So if I want my family to grow deeper, if I want my church and the community of faith to go deeper, if I want the, our community at large to go deeper and see the kingdom come, it's really, I'm saying, God, would you come deeper in me? Would you, would you come and do a deeper work in me? For instance... If you live, if you as a person, as an individual, if you live with a poverty spirit, you, it will be incredibly difficult for you to bring God's prosperity and generosity into the region. So, one of the things that God is inviting us into specifically is inviting us into bringing kingdom prosperity. And I'm not just talking about money. Every time I say prosperity in church, people just click off and they go, money. I'm not really talking about money, though it includes money. I'm talking about the wholeness and goodness that surrounds God. God's inviting us to bring everything that is good into our region. And it's impossible to bring, to be that kind of person who brings that kind of prosperity into the region if we're living under a poverty spirit. Another way of saying it is this. We can only partner or create to the extent that we've entered in. Um, Now here's what I want to do this morning. I want to, highlight a couple things here when it comes to the scripture I read and then I want to talk about dreaming just a little bit um, this scripture that I read is really pretty amazing in what it contains uh, one of the things that it contains there's three things I want to talk about one of the things it contains in it is it contains um, some really basic understanding so that we can get our bearing in life the first thing that's really revealed in this scripture in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, is that creativity is absolutely a part of who you are. Why? Because God has made mankind in, the, in his image. So every single person who's alive in this room right now, and then every single person who's outside, all seven billion of us who are living on the planet, God has put his indelible fingerprint upon people. Now, What does it mean to live in the image of God? What does it mean to be created in His image? It means a lot of things, but one of the things that it absolutely, absolutely, positively means, just from the context of the scripture that we're looking at here, is it means that people have creative capacity. The reason we know this is because this moment here in the scripture, verses 26 through 28, they're in the larger creative context of God creating the entire world. So we have this creative context, and then it says it specifically. Look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. These words keep being used. Image and create. Image, create. Create, image. They go together. So what's the point? The point is you were made in the image of God. Every single person here, you've got the indelible fingerprint of God on your life. And so does she. And, And it means... It means a lot of things, but one of the main things it means, it means that you have creative capacity. Every person in here is a creative person. You might think, well, I'm more of a numbers person. Trust me, when you get the bill from the IRS, you want a creative numbers person on your side. So creativity isn't just musicians, and it isn't just people with a paintbrush. It's much, much larger with that. Every person in here was created with that capacity. The second thing that it means, I'm going to skip the second thing. The third thing that it means 
is that we have been made in the image of God for a purpose, and the purpose is ruling. I hope you see this. There are three words in these three verses that keep showing up again. One of the words that's used twice is dominion. It's not in this translation. I just realized that. It's in the one I've been using. But look at that word. So they may rule over the fish of the sea. In other translations, it's the word rule. God tells Adam and Eve in verse 28, he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. There's this word subdue it. Twice the word rule is used. Once the word subdue is used. And these are words that are connected to ruling the earth. God really did give people and mankind permission to rule the earth. Not only that, but these are kingdom words. Do we see that? So words like rule, words like subdue, depending on your translation, words like dominion, they're kingdom words. What's the point? You've been given a creative capacity to bring the kingdom to the earth. One of the things that means is for every single person living in the room is that you were called to do significant things. Like every person in here was called to do something significant. This idea of bringing the kingdom, it's, it connected to it is the idea that you were called to do something significant. This idea that you're a creative person connected to that is the idea that you were, you were made and you were born and you were perfectly designed to do something new. It's the reason that, that we all live with this desire for a new thing. It's the reason that we all are looking for the next thing. It's because you've actually been made to do it. Uh, our, our Father, our, our God, our Father, he, he is the person who's always looking for that next thing. He's, he's making things. And you were, you were made just like him. One of the things I love is that when God created things, we know this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, that when he created things, he did things, he did so by speaking. Everybody remember that? So when God wanted light, he just said, light, and light happened. So God speaks things, and it's an act of creativity. But how many of you realize that there is something more fundamental than spoken words? It's the thoughts that precede spoken words. One of the things I take from that in, in terms of the biblical text is this, is that God is not just a speaking God. He's not just a creator who speaks, but before he spoke, he was a dreamer. And so one of the things that God is calling us into when it comes to dreaming for our region, he's, calling, he's asking us and he's calling us into living out of a creative place. You've been, you've been given creative capacity and he's calling you to engage that by becoming a dreamer like he is a dreamer. Does this make sense? Look again at verse 28. Verse 28 is hilarious. So we've got God, we've got first man, first woman, and he looks at them and he says, he blesses them, and he said to them, be fruitful, Increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. One of the things I think that's very interesting about this passage is that God looks at Adam and Eve, and he tells them to fill the earth and subdue it, to extend the kingdom, rule over the fish of the sea, be kingdom people. And he tells them to do something, but he doesn't tell them how to do it. Fill the earth, subdue it, but he doesn't tell them how to do it. There were no awkward charts. There was, there, was, there was no sex education in the garden. Um, there, was, 
God didn't have an awkward conversation. He didn't sit them down and go, you know, guys, it, it's kind of like a puzzle. So one of the things you have to ask yourself is, it's, it's okay to laugh, it's funny. One of the things you have to ask yourself is this, how did they do it? And I know some of you guys are thinking very specific thoughts right now. <laughs> but in general, how did they do it? It's very simple. They were led by desire, right? So there's two things, there's two ways of talking about this same idea, and it's, it's in the first, Genesis chapter 1. There's two ways of talking about this this idea that God keeps communicating to his people. Number one, you were made a creative person who was capable of bringing the kingdom. The kingdom comes with creativity. Number And, and the way that you do this, in particular, two ways. Number one is by being a dreamer. And then number two is by being led by desire. Every single person in here has desires on the inside of you that were placed there by God... And they are not unlike the desire that a man has for a woman and the desire that a woman has for a man. They are borderline instinctual. There are things that have been given for you to do that live on the inside, somewhere next to the liver and the spleen. It it dwells in there. You can't get it out. And if you don't do something about expressing it, you'll actually not be a happy person. Like there's joy in life. Look at what it says in verse 28. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. I want you to know that there is an aspect of your joy and being able to enjoy the blessing of God that is directly connected to you being a fruitful producer rather than a consumer. If that makes sense. So you living out your creative call, bringing the kingdom to be a producer and not simply a consumer is directly connected to your ability to enjoy the blessing of God in your life. There are things on the inside of you you were made to do. They were instinctual. So number one, church, it's time to be dreamers. And number two, it's time to begin to give expression to those internal, borderline, instinctual desires that have been placed there by God. Like, you guys are having thoughts about things, and you've been having them your entire life, and there's crazy amounts of fear that come against them, and they, but they, they won't go away. No matter how big the fear is, they won't go away. You might not do anything about it, but they won't go away. It was, see, that was placed there by God. And one of the things that's going to shape our community going forward is for this community of people to be dreamers and to be people who are led by desire. Now, every time I talk about being led by desire, people get really uncomfortable. And the reason they get uncomfortable is because desire is like one of the dirtiest words available in the church. In fact, every single person in this room has been taught to mistrust their desires. If you go to church for very long, one of the things that you pick up is that you, get, you, you learn to mistrust your desires. And at a certain level, it makes sense because some of us in the room have or either know people who have trained wrecked their life by giving expression to certain desires, right? Yeah, you can train wreck your life. Just shake your head. You can train wreck your life by giving expression to certain desires. But I love what the scripture said. There's actually a way for us to deal with it. Um, Let me say this before I get there. Number one, you were not meant to be a person who was led by rules. They don't work anyway. You were not meant to be led by rules. You were meant to be led by desire. You were meant to be a person with a clean and a pure heart before God, 
living from a place of desire, living from a place of want to, not doing things because someone told you not to do it, but not doing things because it's not even in your heart to do it. Okay? So then the Bible says something really interesting. In Psalm 37, verse 4, you all know this one. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, right? Yeah, it's a great verse. I think it's such an interesting verse. David says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. It's very interesting that David does not say, know the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. David also does not say, obey the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Did you know that there are people who are disobeying the Lord who are giving the desires of their heart? It's very interesting. David does say this. David says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. How many of you realize that you can obey someone and take no delight in them? Yeah. How many of you know that you can know someone but take no delight in them? How many of you know that if you delight in someone, you will know them, and by proxy, you'll just be right in line with them? So one of the things that the Scripture tells us about desire is this, that to delight ourselves in the Lord, and delight means not just to know Him, but to receive joy from Him. It's not just the understanding and awareness that there is a God. Lots of people in the world know there is a God, but it's to, it's to acknowledge that he is good and, and be able to gather something of joy from him. When you do that, one of the things that happens is, is that your heart actually gets purified and what remains are things that God can bless. So what's the key here? We're going to be people who dream. We're going to be people who are led by desire. And in order to be led by desire, we're going to be people who find our delight in God. What does that mean? It means that there, there's going to be nothing in my life I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a slow process of disallowing anything to supplant God as being the number one supreme value and joy in my life. That's what it means. Um, for those of us who live in Kentucky, uh, like people here, we love basketball, right? It's like father, son, and Calipari. We do. And, and praise the Lord, like, like, we're better than those other guys. Like, we're just, they're good. Like, they're awesome. But one of the things that happens is, and I love, the, I love going to Kentucky games. Like, as long as it's football, like, basketball, let's go. But I love going there, and it's great. And there's a lot of delight that can come. But I will disallow myself. I'm in the slow process of disallowing myself to receive any pleasure in life that exceeds my pleasure that I get from the Lord. I'm, I'm in the slow pro- Why? Because I want, I want my desires to be purified. I want my desires to be things that God can get behind and push on. Why? I want to be led by desire. I want, I want some of these internal things that are so instinctual, I want them to have the hand and the grace of the Lord upon them. Does that make sense? Okay, so a, that was a little bit of theological work there about desire and dreaming and how it's related to creativity. The first step of creativity is dreaming. The first step of of moving in your creative call that you have capacity to do is to be a person who's led by desire. And see, here's the deal. This is the reason I wanted to talk about this. It's essential that we become dreamers because the spirit that's bombarded our region and really our whole state is a poverty spirit. The state of Kentucky in its history is a place where lack exists in, in, in in a disproportionate way compared to the rest of the United States. And because of that, there are, there are practical and spiritual ramifications that happen to people. Here's the deal. When you grow up with lack, it changes the way you think. And the number one thing that a spirit of poverty does is it changes, uh, it changes how you think 
in regards to having a hope for the future. That's the number one thing it does. And so in order to combat that, we're going to do two things. We're going to be, we're going to be a radically generous church. And the other thing is we're going to dream. Why? Because dreaming is the opposite of having no hope for the future. See, here's the deal. Every person in here, you're called to have a hope for the future. It's essential. And the poverty the spirit steals hope for a better future, and it reinforces that hopelessness based upon the evidence of what a person currently doesn't have. If that makes sense. So we're going to live from dreams. We're going to live from desire. Um, but before we do that, I, I feel like I need to say a few things about dreams. And this is really what I wanted to get to this morning. Uh, the first thing about dreams is this. A dream is a seed, and that means it's not the tree, and it's certainly not the fruit. So when you begin to live from dreams, what you're doing is you're living, what you have as a seed, it's not the tree, and it's not the fruit. People get so disheartened and disillusioned because they don't realize that the dream and the desire they have is a seed and not the actual fruit. And while the transitions that have to take place to see that seed go from a seed to a tree to a tree that bears fruit, those transitions, they take time and it takes effort. Now I want to talk to you just for a second about the genius of fruit. Part of the genius of fruit is that you can eat something that contains the seed. Every, every fruit out there has seed in it. So you can eat something and it'll contain the seeds in it. it. And not only that, but fruit is sweet and it's enjoyable and there's something of delight in it. Okay, And when you eat it, you're actually taking in not just the flesh of the fruit, but you're actually taking in the seed. I hope you realize I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically here. Just stay with me. So it's part of the genius of the fruit. It's one of the reasons that I'm always telling people that I come into contact with who are wanting to take that next step in creativity, who are wanting to take that next step as a dreamer and living by desire. It's one of the reasons that I'm always telling people you have to go see great things. Why? When you go see great things, what you're doing is you're actually seeing the byproduct of a seed that has grown into a tree and has produced fruit. And when you see a great thing, you're actually able to pluck it and you're able to eat it. And when you eat it, you actually become pregnant with a dream. Does this make sense? How many of you have ever had this experience? Uh, you go out to eat at a really, really, really great restaurant with your wife and you come home and you want to cook. Why? You saw something great. You ate the fruit, you carried the seed home. Yeah, uh, one of the things I've noticed in my own life, just as a creative person, uh, is this, that every single time that Heather and I go to a really great restaurant, we come home and we want to cook. Anytime we go to a really great museum, we come home, I want to paint. Anytime I go to see a show by someone who's really good, I come home and I write songs. Why? Because you're eating the fruit and you're coming home with seeds. The second thing about fruit is this, is that it's meant to be eaten and enjoyed. Fruit is sweet and there's delight. So part of the point of a dream is to become a living, sweet, nourishing reality that others can feast on. Like, can I tell you something? Your dream is not about you. 
it feels like it's about you, but your dream is actually, the point of your dream is actually that it would become a living, sweet reality that others can feast on. See, your life is meant to be feasted on. Your life is actually meant to be enjoyed, not just by you, but by others. Like to have such, such a realm of, of delight around it that other people can come next to you and just by being with you, they begin to enjoy things more. They, they en- like, and I'm not, I'm not even talking about entertaining people. I'm talking about there's just something, there's an effervescence of delight and joy that comes off of it. Your life is meant to be feasted on, which is to say it's meant to be nourishment for others. Your life is meant to be enjoyed. And your life is meant to inspire even more dreaming in others. So that when people come around you, people who are barren when it comes to dreams, feel like they have no vision and no purpose for their life. They come around you, there's so much fruit, they're able to grab it, they eat it, there's pleasure, it nourishes. And without even knowing it, they go home with a belly full of seeds. And the next thing you know, in the quiet of the night, they begin to have new thoughts. Another aspect of the genius of fruit. While fruit is meant to be eaten, seeds do not eat fruit. Seeds do not eat fruit. Do you know what seeds eat? It's not a trick question. you know what seeds eat? Dirt. Mud. That's what seeds eat. Seeds get planted beneath the soil and they come into contact with soil. And in the, in the hidden place beneath the surface where no one can see it, no one can see it, it's completely invisible, seeds are beginning to sprout. And the first thing that comes out are roots that no one can see. It's completely hidden. It's completely invisible. And they're beginning to put their roots down into rocky soil and extract nutrients out of the dirt and out of the mud. While fruit is meant to be eaten and enjoyed, the seed, the dream that you have, the first thing it's going to be nourished by is rocky soil and mud. This is one of the reasons that so many of us get completely disheartened. We have a dream and we assume that the dream is the fruit. The dream dream is not the fruit, it's the seed. It gets planted beneath the surface and it's completely hidden and no one can see it. Everyone, you realize that there's greatness on the inside of you and no one else does. People will walk right past you and not even think that anything good is happening there. And on the inside, you're like, but I'm called to great things. Why won't Hannah let me sing on the microphone? It's because your seed is buried and hidden and it's not seen and it's totally good. It's totally good. Not only that, not only that, but other people's lives are producing fruit and you eat it and it's inspiring and it's sweet and it nourishes and it satisfies you and it actually puts more dreams and the dreams that you have, the only thing that you're able to feast on at this point once a dream begins to take that second step is dirt, rocks, and mud. It's opposition. It is, it is hard times. It is, it is the, the difficulty that comes from being hidden and overlooked. This is really big, okay? Completely hidden. Completely, completely hidden. So seeds put their roots down into the dirt. 
down into the soil, down into the dark, beneath the surface, down with the rocks, out of sight, out of mind. Every time you begin to walk in your creative capacity, being led by desire, living for a dream, you will have a season that is completely hidden, completely opposed, and completely unnoticed. And it's really good. And from that place of being out of sight, out of mind, down with the rocks, they pulled life, nutrients, and water out of places that other people couldn't see. And from soil that was rocky and hard and challenging, they grow up a resilient plant that produces sweet fruit. Now in this process, one of the things that absolutely kills is comparison. And the reason that comparison kills is this, is we'll have a dream, and it's a seed, and we begin to look at other people who have similar dreams, and by and large, what we end up looking at are people with similar dreams who are living in, in the fullness of their fruit. Not realizing that we're in completely different seasons. And we'll become jealous, envious, and then finally we'll become bitter. And we'll, we'll decide, well, God hasn't been good to me. All I have are these seeds and these dreams that no, one, no one's paying any attention to. And by the way, they're not paying attention to them because they're not real. They're just subterranean. They can't see them. And so we become bitter, and we're like, what the heck, man? And really the deal is, is that's the reason comparison is such a, a killer. It's a, it's a killer. So often we, we, we fill our lives with bitterness when we begin to compare our seeds to other people's fruit, not realizing that they're just at a different stage in life. Like there are people right now, probably in this room, who have similar dreams, and they're just further along than you, and it's totally okay for them to be further along than you. Easy and hard. When it comes to dreaming, certain things are easy and then certain things are hard. Uh, first thing I want to say is this. Dreaming is really easy. The reason it's really easy is that you were made to do it. Now, living out that dream, bringing a dream out of the unseen realm and into the seen realm is really difficult. Most of us have probably tried things enough to realize this by now. But dreaming is really easy. Trying to make that dream a reality, really difficult. And one of the things that I've come to realize after doing some of this for some time is this, that you actually want it to be hard. I know it feels like you don't want it to be hard, but you actually want it to be hard. And the reason that you want it to be difficult is this, because anything that's difficult is valuable. Easy is just another synonym for worthless. You guys ever watch that show, Gold Rush? It's my favorite. Yeah, come on, every Friday night. Kids, won't y'all shut up? Daddy's watching Gold Rush. <laughs> yeah, you know why gold is so valuable? It's hard to get. It's underneath mountains. They have to have giant equipment and like 27 guys. And it's in Alaska and it freezes. And about the time you get down to it, the winter comes in and explodes all of your pumps and you've got a hole full of frozen water. That's why gold is valuable. What's the point? The point is like living out your dream. It's easy to dream, but it'll be hard to bring it into reality. And the truth is you actually want it to because when it's hard and when it's difficult, it actually means that you're on the heels of something valuable. Now, here's what I, what, what I don't mean. What I don't mean is living with some kind of martyr syndrome that says, let me find the worst, most pathetically awful thing that I can possibly think of, the thing that I would most hate and the thing that would most kill me, 
And let me go do that because that's what God wants me to do. You laugh, but a lot of people in this room are living with a martyr syndrome. In fact, you've got a career based upon the martyr syndrome. Most people in ministry are in ministry because of the martyr syndrome. Almost every missionary is a missionary because of the martyr syndrome. Trust me. I've met them. They're like, dude, I'm going to this place. And then in three years, they come back completely broken. Completely. Why? Because they actually didn't have grace to go there. They thought God wanted to go, them to go do the hardest, most difficult thing so that they could prove that they love him. Don't do that, okay? Why? Because difficulty is built into life. That's why. Anything you do is going to be hard. Anything you're going to... There's going to be trouble built around everything. The question is, do you have a dream that's bigger than your trouble? Do you have a dream that's bigger than trouble? Oh my gosh. So it's easy to dream. It's hard to bring it into reality. And you actually want it to be that way because it means that there's gold in it somewhere. One of the things I've noticed is that most people stay sterile because they're afraid of the work. And they're afraid of the cost. This is when it's really important to be led by desire. When you're afraid of what it might cost, it's really important to give in and be led by desire. Why? Because desire will take you into places that you can't back out from. <laughs> How many of you know that it's, it's easy and actually quite a lot of fun to make babies? It's hard as heck to raise them up. Yeah, desire will lead you into places that you can't back out from. And you'll find your way. Some of y'all are like, dude, I can't believe the pastor's talking like this. Welcome to the vineyard. It gets way worse. This is really tame. But desire will actually lead you into places that you can't back out from. It will take you beyond the point of no return. Desire can lead you into the place that you are actually called to and get you in so deep you have to fight and work it out. And that's a great place. That's a great place. So there'll be sweat. Every single dream that you have that you, that you partner with God on to bring into reality, there'll be sweat on every single dream. It'll be your sweat. And if it's a God dream, there'll be the fingerprint of the Holy Spirit on as well. This is important. Um, most of us in here need to know both of these things, that it's going to require some of that effort on our part. But then one of the other things we need to not lose sight of is that Every single dream that's a real God dream has to have that indelible mark of the Spirit. Otherwise, we end up committing ourselves just to things that we're strong enough to do. Like we, we need dreams that are big enough that it actually requires the enablement of the Spirit. Most of what happens in church actually requires zero Holy Spirit. And we need to recalibrate our desire and recalibrate our dreaming systems to those things which actually require an active participation of the Spirit to accomplish. Third thing, final thing here. Dreams take years. The really good ones take years. The reason that it takes you, but here's the thing. It takes years, but it always feels like it's going to be easy and soon. And this is what I wanted to get to. Because some of us end up in disillusionment. We get a dream, 
uh, we begin to be led by desire, like we get around God, desires begin to wake up in us, or somebody gives us a prophetic word. And when that happens, it always feels like it's going to be soon, and it always feels like it's going to be easy, when in reality, it's going to be later, and it's going to be hard. (laughs) And you go, why? Wasn't that the Lord? Yeah, it was the Lord, but here's what happens. You and I, we're living in time, so we live in sequence of days, months, and years. And by the way, that's good. It's good that we live in time, apparently, because that's the way God designed it. So it's good that we live in time. But when we get, when we get a dream, when the desires of our heart get awakened, when we get a prophetic word, what happens is, is that God, who lives outside of time, comes into time, and when he comes into time, he brings the future with him, and it feels like it's going to be really soon. Why? Because the future came close to us. And not only that, but it feels like it's going to be easy. Why? Because God came. That's why. Because everything's easy to God. And what actually happens is that the future comes into the present, and we see the picture, we see the tree, we see the fruit, and sometimes it's so real and it's so close, you can actually smell the orangeness coming off of the orange. It's like that close. Like, I smell an orange. And then what we get left with is the seed. So God comes near. It feels like it's going to be easy. It feels like it's going to be soon because the future came. And we see the picture. We see the tree. We see the fruit. We can even smell the aroma. We go out to grab it and what we're left with is a seed. Like God isn't playing tricks with you. He's inviting you into the process. Amen? Amen. Yeah, this is a big deal because this is the next steps for Campbellsville. Like, it's not okay that Campbellsville isn't more than she is. Um, Campbellsville right now is absolutely pregnant with all kinds of stuff. Like, there's so many things that are just, like, right on the edge and right on the precipice of happening. And the next step is for people to dream and to be led by desire. There is a, there is a certain level of awakening and resurrection that is happening in our community and god is looking for god is looking for partners able-bodied dreamers people with some courage to do something that's never been done and one of the things that god is specifically looking for is he's looking for entrepreneurs and business people to raise up businesses and to do things that have never been done here god's looking for campbellsville to be something other than uh, low-paying jobs where you go and you bash your brains out for 850 an hour and you just want to die at the end of the week like it's not okay that that's the way most people make a living in our region thank the lord for them i'm glad that we have something but it's not okay and the reason that we have the community that we have is because there is a dream vacuum that sits over our city we're living in the dream vacuum uh, one of the true things about life is you can either direct or be self-directed. You can either be self-directed or you can be directed. Like you can either have a dream for your life or you can wake up and you'll be 35 and somebody else will have a dream for your life and you'll be captured in it. Trust me, it's real. And God's inviting us to bring, to bring the kingdom into our region with dreams. Amen? Hey, why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you.